0: Hi, from the Bear Cave, I'm Barry Slater and welcome to today's reading of USA Today for Wednesday, February 21st. Our front page article is written by Todd Spangler and it's titled Joe Biden Still Trails Donald Trump in Michigan Amid Calls for Israeli Cease Fire, A New Poll Shows. President Joe Biden, despite visiting Macomb County, Michigan earlier this month, and dispatching administration officials and campaign aides to the state in recent weeks, still appears to be trailing former President Donald Trump in a head-to-head matchup in the state 45 to 41 percent, with 14 percent undecided, a new poll showed on Wednesday. That four percentage point split is equal to the poll's margin of error, meaning statistically speaking, the race could be tied. But a number of Michigan polls in recent months have shown Trump ahead of Biden, suggesting the former president does have an edge on the incumbent, even if it's only a slim one. And the new poll indicates that Biden's refusal to heed calls, especially among younger, more progressive Democrats and Michigan's large Arab American and Muslim communities, to demand an Israeli end to deadly counterattacks in the Gaza Strip appears to be playing a role in his support or lack thereof, a situation which could potentially cost him a vital swing state Trump won in 2016, before Biden recaptured it for Democrats four years ago. It points to a potential Trump win unless things dramatically change, said Bernie Porn, the pollster for Epic MRA in Lansing, the firm that conducted the survey and provided it to the free press. He's at a point where, before long, he's got to start moving numbers in his direction. The poll, which surveyed 600 active and likely Michigan voters randomly selected between last Tuesday and Sunday, and had a margin of error of plus or minus four percentage points, indicated 53% of all Michiganders are supportive of a ceasefire to negotiate for the release of hostages, and provide humanitarian aid to Gaza. Those in favor skewed much more toward the liberal end of the political spectrum, including 74% of self-described Democrats, 64% of Independents, and only 32% of Republicans. Among those supportive of a ceasefire overall, just 57% said they were definitely supportive of Biden's re-election, with 27% supporting Trump and 15% undecided. Trump, unsurprisingly, did better with the 27% who support Israel's continuing to wage war against Hamas in Gaza leading among them 74% to 18% with just 9% undecided, as well as with the 20% who were undecided, leading that block 51% to 29% with 19% undecided. If you're all as confused as I am, that's good. But given the more liberal and moderate leaning makeup of voters supportive of a ceasefire, the sizable percentage voicing doubts as to their support of the Biden campaign is sure to be of concern to the president. That is especially true with progressives and members of the Arab American and Muslim communities in Michigan organizing a Listen to Michigan campaign urging people to vote uncommitted in next Tuesday's Democratic primary rather than for Biden as a signal to him that he needs to use United States sway and financial support to rein in Israel's attacks following Hamas's terrorist attacks of October 7th against Israelis. Tens of thousands of Palestinians have died in the counterattacks leading to widespread demands for a ceasefire. While Biden has called for restraint on the part of Israel, a key U.S. ally in the Middle East, he has stopped short of demanding a ceasefire. Last week, U.S. Representative Rashida Tlaib, a Democrat from Detroit and a fierce critic of Israel's and the only Palestinian American in Congress, gave her vocal support to the vote uncommitted effort, even though there are those who see that as a boost to Trump. We feel completely neglected and just unseen by our government, she said in a video posted on Saturday. The Free Press uses Epic MRA as a pollster, but did not contract with it for this most current poll, which comes at a time when voters have expressed concerns about Biden's age. At 81, he's the oldest sitting president ever, though Trump at 77 is just four years younger and other recent polls have shown Biden struggling to gain a lead in swing states he won four years ago. Some polls have shown a tightening, however. A recent Fox News poll showed Trump with a more narrow 47 to 45 percent head-to-head lead over Biden in Michigan, which was also within that poll's three percentage point margin of error. The epic MRA poll was conducted by live interviewers, and 80% of those surveyed were reached by cell phones. It did not survey, as some other polls have done, levels of support for Biden and Trump, along with other independent or third-party candidates. As a practical matter, both Biden and Trump are expected to handily win their respective primaries in Michigan on Tuesday, and in many respects, the race for November is already underway in the state. As such, the epic MRA poll did not attempt to measure Biden's support versus Democratic challenger, U.S. Representative Dean Phillips of Minnesota, or Trump's support versus Republican challenger and former South Carolina governor, as well as former U.S. Ambassador to the United Nations, Nikki Haley. But some Democratic supporters of Biden are worried that any animus shown toward the president now could cost him votes in the general election. While the poll showed a slight narrowing of the race from Epic MRA's last survey in November, when Trump led 46 to 41 percent, or just outside the margin of error, it also continued to show many of the same trends as that poll. Black voters, for instance, a key constituency for Biden and the Democrats, favored the current president 68% to 17%, with 16% undecided in the new poll. That's up from the 62% to 17% Biden had in November, with 21% undecided, but a far cry from the 92% support from the black voters that he had in the state according to exit polls in 2020. While voters in the new poll meanwhile favored Trump 50 to 37% with 13% undecided compared with Trump's lead of 47 to 41% with 12% undecided in November. And while Biden's support among self-described independents was up significantly, that group favored Trump 38 to 31 for Biden, with 32 undecided, compared with Trump leading that block 45 to 18 percent with 38 percent undecided three months ago, Biden's support among college educated voters dropped. The current poll had him leading with those voters 44 to 38 percent with 18 percent undecided. That's compared with his 49 to 37 percent lead in that block in November with 13 percent undecided, and that was well below the 17 point margin he had with those voters in the 2020 election. The survey also asked voters about the legal challenges facing Trump, who has been hit with some 91 charges in four criminal matters, and last week was both fined more than $450 million in New York for inflating financial statements, a judgment he plans to appeal, and told to expect a trial beginning next month on hush money payments, to a former adult film actress ahead of the 2016 election. He also faces Justice Department charges in Washington that he violated laws by trying to overturn the results of the November 2020 election and in Florida for improperly withholding classified documents after leaving office. Voters were split as to whether he would be convicted of a crime in one of his trials with 46% saying yes and 43% saying no. Also asked how a conviction might affect their vote. The head-to-head match became a dead heat at 44% with 12% undecided, even though 56% of voters said that if he is convicted, he should be sentenced to jail time. Finally, the poll indicated another dead heat between two candidates expected to be among their party's frontrunners in a U.S. Senate race in Michigan this fall. It indicated U.S. Representative Elisa Slotkin, a Democrat from Lansing, who is considered the favorite to win the Democratic nomination to succeed retiring U.S. Senator Debbie Staminaw in the fall, is in a virtual tie 39 to 38 percent with former U.S. Representative Mike Rogers of Brighton, who has consolidated much of the mainstream Republican support and got a boost when former Detroit Police Chief James Craig left the race last week. 23% remain undecided in a hypothetical matchup between the two. Democratic and Republican primaries for those Senate races and other congressional and state seats will be held on August 6th. And I hope I don't have to say percent anymore in this broadcast. From the entertainment section of the Wednesday, February 21st USA Today, an article written by Naledi Uche titled Greta Gerwig says Barbie movie success was not guaranteed. This Barbie is Time's Woman's of the Year cover star. On Tuesday, Time unveiled its 12 picks for the Woman of the Year issue, including filmmaker Greta Gerwig as the outlet's cover, Taraji Henson and Andra Day. Each of the honorees discussed some of the challenges they've faced amid their careers and their hopes for the future. I remember thinking, if this works, everyone is going to think later that it was inevitable, the Barbie director said in an interview on the success of her Oscar-nominated film, adding, they'll say, well, but it was Barbie, but this was not guaranteed. Gerwig, who has directed other films resonating with girlhood and womanhood, such as Little Women, and Lady Bird says that the success of her movies shouldn't be solely credited for their themes around gender. I always think about the intuitive way you love a song or a movie. You love something and you just love it. You don't think to yourself, I have to love this because it's by a woman for a woman, she commented saying, that's part of it, but it's not why you love it. You love it because it's great. Many fans, including Barbie star Ryan Gosling, were outraged over Gerwig not receiving a Best Director nomination at the upcoming Oscars ceremony. Gerwig added, I want to be able to make a body of work that feels like it's undeniable in terms of the work itself. I don't want there to be an asterisk next to my name. Do I have more of that than male filmmakers? I don't know. I know plenty of deeply insecure male filmmakers who are plagued in their own ways. Her next project is a new adaptation of the first book in C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia series for Netflix. Therese Henson's comments about pay inequity while doing press for The Color Purple continued conversation about the fiscal worth Hollywood has placed on successful black women. The actress said she felt compelled to push the discussion forward in public spaces because if we stay talking in small little circles, that's not going to change anything but we do have allies out there which i found out by telling my truth she added henson likened her experience to that of the characters in the color purple i'm in a movie about women who don't have a voice and are trying to find it so who's going to stand up for them she said It's also a part of the reason she spent time on other streams of income outside of acting, including a production company and her hair care brand, TPH. I'm 53 and I'm getting tired, she told Time. And then the disrespect. If there's a playground no one wants you to play on, are you going to keep showing up and hurting yourself? Hansen has often portrayed characters dealing with the intersection between racism and sexism, from Shug Avery in The Color Purple to Nassau mathematician Katherine Johnson in Hidden Figures. While it's important to share those stories, she noted that she has to be conscious of making sure I'm not losing myself when her characters' experiences overlap with her own. On Andra Day, on the journey to singing the Black National Anthem at Super Bowl 58, said Day had always been denied the opportunity to sing the Black National Anthem at events to her performance of Lift Every Voice and Sing at Super Bowl 58 earlier this month. I got to a point where I was like, okay, until I can do that anthem, I don't really want to do it again, she said a prior request to sing the Star-Spangled Banner. Doing things her way has also set the precedent for the type of projects she plans to do in the future. Although she knows fans are hoping for a similarly uplifting song like her 2015 inspirational ballad Rise Up or calls for her to take on an Eartha Kitt biopic after starring as Billie Holiday in the United States vs. Billie Holiday, Day said she's prioritizing her own desires. I'm really trying, just trying to heal my voice and learn the new pocket that it's in, she said, explaining that she suffered damage to her voice due to smoking cigarettes to mimic holiday sound while filming the movie. Day added, maybe I will inspire differently on this album by just talking about my experiences. I gave myself freedom to do that. From the sports section of the Wednesday, February 21st, USA Today, an article written by Jason Anderson titled, Midge Purse, Olivia Moultrie lead a youthful U.S. women's national team to an easy win in CONCACAF W. Gold Cup opener. With the United States women's national soccer team in flux, the CONCACAF W. Gold Cup represents a moment for players old and new to claim places of prominence. Midge Purse and Olivia Moultrie heeded the call, leading the USWNT to a 5 to nothing rout of the Dominican Republic as the teams kicked off their Group A slate late in rain-drenched Carson, California on Tuesday night. Purse, fresh off a 2023 NWSL Championship victory with the New Jersey, New York, Gotham Football Club, posted three assists while Moultrie scored her first two goals with the senior national team. The USWNT spent much of the last year or so guilty of some slow starts, but came flying out of the gates in the first seconds of their W Gold Cup opener. Lynn Williams seemed to have converted that early pressure into a second-minute goal only for an offside call on Sophia Smith to negate it. The wait wouldn't be long, though, as Peirce waltzed through the Dominican Republic defense along the right before chopping a low cross toward a wave of USWNT targets— Moultrie ended up winning the race with the Portland Thorns midfielder, finishing the move with a tap-in. The U.S. women's national team came to grips with the nuances of a new-look 3-2-4-1 formation, but eventually Peirce would find another very similar assist in the 30th minute. This time, Williams wouldn't end up ruining an offside call, firing home after the feed from her Gotham teammate was right on the money. Corbin Albert nearly joined Moultrie in claiming a first women's national team goal, jogging in to cap a simple 44th minute attacking sequence, only for Gabriela Cuevas to arrive to barely deflect the effort onto the crossbar. After halftime, the purse show continued with the Gotham attacker getting her third assist of the night in the 58th minute. This time, the Maryland native faked a shot to get past Winnibian Peralta outside the box before pinging a low service to leave Moultrie, little option but to guide the ball home. The U.S. women's national team newcomers kept it going to pad the margin of victory, with substitute Jaden Shaw winning a VAR assisted penalty kick after Brianna Reed appeared to step on the San Diego Wave stars foot. The U.S. women's team next challenge at the W Cold Cup will be a meeting with Argentina who held on for a scoreless draw with Mexico earlier on Tuesday. From the tech section of the February 21st USA Today, an article written by Janet Loker titled, A Dead Satellite Will Crash Back to Earth This Wednesday, Here's What to Know. After 16 years of operation, a defunct satellite will crash back to Earth today at approximately 10 a.m. Oh, before you hear this, Eastern Time, says the European Space Agency, as of Sunday afternoon. The agency launched the Heritage ERS-2 satellite in 1995 after its sister satellite, the ERS-1. The ERS-2 ended its mission in September of 2011. The space agency used the satellite to track the Earth's decreasing polar ice, shifting land masses, rising sea levels, warming oceans, and changing atmospheric chemistry. Since the satellite's retirement, the agency has been slowly lowering its altitude. The agency said its maneuvers used up the satellite's remaining fuel and lowered its average altitude from 785 kilometers, or 488 miles, to about 356 miles in order to greatly reduce the risk of collision with other satellites or space debris. The maneuvers also altered the satellite's orbit so it would re-enter Earth's atmosphere within 15 years. The ERS-2 satellite is huge compared with other space debris. It's about as long as a city bus and weighs more than 5,000 pounds. The satellite is now low enough that the atmosphere will cause it to rapidly descend in the coming days. Because the ERS-2 is out of fuel, the space agency cannot control it with engine burns. The satellite is expected to start disintegrating in the atmosphere about 50 miles above Earth. Some debris could crash into the surface, according to the space agency, but it's most likely any debris would land in an ocean, given that water makes up about 70% of the surface on Earth. Well, if you're listening to this show, it never bothered you. Next up from the money section of the Wednesday, February 21st, USA Today, an article written by Madora Lee. It's titled, Discover's merger with Capital One may mean lux lounges, better service and more perks. Customers can look forward to a flurry of new perks if Capital One's $35 billion purchase of Discover Financial Services goes through, experts say. The acquisition would give Capital One access to Discover's high-credit-quality customers and its network of payment processing services, an area dominated by Visa and MasterCard. With more premium customers, Capital One will need to compete on a premium perks, and that's going to be something that will benefit customers, said Marbu Brown, founder of the Customer Obsession Advantage, a consulting firm advising businesses on creating loyal customers. She said perks offered are going to be elevated to a new level. So here's what you need to know about the combination and what you may get out of it how much is Capital One paying? Well, Capital One, as we said, plans to buy Discover in a $35.3 billion deal. Under the terms of the all-stock transaction, Discover shareholders will receive Capital One shares valued at nearly $140. That's a significant premium to the $110.49 that Discover shares closed at on Friday. So why is Capital One buying Discover? Well, the deal will create the largest U.S. card issuer with around $250 billion in card balances and a market share of 22%, according to T.D. Cohen. It would allow Capital One to compete in the lucrative world of payment networks. MasterCard and Visa together have 83% of the credit card processing market they are the target of a bipartisan bill to introduce more competition by requiring the largest banks issuing credit cards to offer two networks with at least one not visa or mastercard for merchants to choose from when processing transactions The acquisition would allow Capital One to build a payments network that can compete with the largest payments networks and payments companies, said Richard Fairbank, Capital One founder, chairman, and chief executive. How would consumers benefit from the merger? Better service, luxury airport lounges, and other lucrative perks, Brown said. Discover has scored in the top two in J.D. Power's credit card satisfaction survey since the survey began in 2007, and Capital One will want to stay there, Brown said. Perks like Discover's travel portal and shopping discounts will likely be extended to Capital One's large customer base, especially those with high credit scores, said Greg McBride, chief financial analyst at Consumer Financial Services from Bankrate. Also, would Capital One ever consider adopting Discover's offering of doubling cardholders' cash back or miles at the end of their first year? said Matt Schultz, chief credit analyst at a at loan comparison site, LendingTree, saying that's been a staple for Discover for a long time and has no doubt helped them build their brand to where it is today. So, what about savings? Capital One's foray into payments processing probably won't help merchants or customers save on credit card fees, said Doug Cantor, general counsel at the National Association of Convenience Stores Trade Group, which supports the bipartisan bill to increase competition in the payments processing industry. Discover has a very tiny percentage of the network, and that will be true after the acquisition, Cantor said. It's a chink in the armor. If Capital One shifts all its credit cards to the Discover network, Cantor said that could be significant. But that's not happening. Capital One said in its release, that the debit card purchases will be processed on the Discover network, but only selected credit card transactions. There's a reason for that, Cantor said. The gravy train is too good. Visa and MasterCard reaped $93 billion in transaction fees in 2022 from merchants, and Capital One's likely positioning itself to grab some of that, Cantor said. If the bipartisan bill passes, Capital One could serve as the second processing option the bill would require. Passage of the bill would present a real opportunity for growth for Capital One Discover, Schultz said, adding, it won't change much for the consumer beyond having an extra company's logo on your credit card, but for Discover and American Express, it could mean the ability to have their network gain far more exposure than they have today. Debit card processing fees are not as lucrative because they are capped. Credit card rates are set by processors like Visa and MasterCard. Everything from luxury perks and credit card fees, though, depends on the deal receiving approval from regulators. If it does, Capital One and Discover say they expect the deal to close late this year or early next. Well, that's it for today's reading of USA Today. I've been reading from the Wednesday, February 21st edition. If you have any questions about the articles I've read, call the Chris Listener line at 860-727-9579. I'm Barry Slater. Thank you for listening and so long until next time.